welcome to a very special episode of Music Works. We're delighted to welcome Roger Wilson, co-founder of the Black Lives in Music initiative. The aim of Black Lives in Music is to create a much needed resource for promoting black talent in jazz and classical music and tackling the unconscious bias and institutional racism that sadly affects so many parts of our lives. And we have to acknowledge that includes the music business. But Roger brings a positive message of hope and aspiration and outlines ways in which, if children can see themselves reflected in their teachers, performers and the repertoire played, they can feel the classical music world is one that is there for them and one where they can feel an equal sense of ownership. We're also giving a shout out for the groundbreaking Black Lives in Music survey which will provide the key to understanding the issues of diversity in our industry. As Roger says, change is hard and requires a level of courage that organisations need to find within themselves to achieve the kind of progress to make music truly inclusive and unlock the huge bank of talent both in performance and repertoire that deserves to take its rightful place in the conservatoire and on the concert platform as well as behind the scenes. Stay tuned to hear about the survey and for more information on how to engage with Black Lives in Music. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. Music Works is generously supported by Alliance Musical Insurance, the UK's number one musical instrument insurer, serving the music community since 1960. If these difficult times have shown us anything, it's that life can be unpredictable. Alliance offer cover for all types of instruments and musical equipment, protecting you against accidental damage, loss, theft and more. Plus, every Alliance music policy now includes free legal assistance and support so you can protect yourself both as a musician and in your personal life. Now, if the worst happens, you won't be left out of pocket and you can get back to doing what you do best. To find out more about this and Alliance's special online offer of two months free cover, go to alliancemusic.co.uk. Alliance, proud to be the insurer of choice for over 70,000 musicians. Now, over to the Music Works studio where Roger Wilson is waiting to talk to us about the important work of Black Lives in Music. Welcome, Roger. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks. Brilliant. So today we have uh, Roger Wilson, the co-founder of Black Lives in Music with us. And um, so without further ado, Roger, please do tell us about the Black Lives in Music movement. Thank you very much. And um, yeah, as I say, I, I'm, I'm really pleased to be speaking with you today and um, very pleased to be talking to you about Black Lives in Music, uh, which is an organization uh, founded by myself and um, my friend and colleague, Sharice uh, Beaumont. Um, we're focusing on the issues of diversity in terms of ethnicity in the jazz and classical music fields. Um, it's uh, a really important in initiative. We know what the problems are just looking out there and, and seeing. You only have to uh, look at a, a certain series of uh, televised concerts that happen uh, in the summer just to just to see what the optics are for orchestras and their lack of diversity. And um, we know that goes way beyond just, just what you see on the stage. It actually uh, goes beyond that. And uh, we're talking about 
the personnel behind the stage, um, the administrative staff, those who, who were involved in the logistics and operations, uh, governance and uh, leadership. And, and of course, um, those who are going to concerts as well, you know, um, that's reflected uh, in the audiences that uh, go and that's that's a real big problem. So we want to try and, and um, work with organisations to, to address those issues. Yeah, fantastic, absolutely. How can you expect audiences to go to concerts if they don't see themselves represented? Um, and how how are you how are you going to go about that then? How are you working? With yeah, it's a, it's. I mean, I, I have to describe it as a model because I think um, when uh, uh, we look at a, a situation like this, which is endemic uh, in our industry, uh, we're not. Uh, going to look at a silver bullet that's you know going to 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 cure the problem to solve the problem uh it's looking at all aspects of that so um we're working with organizations um it, 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 who are at the professional level but then uh working back uh in terms of also looking at the talent pipeline those coming through conservatoires higher education institutions pushing back beyond that, looking at grassroots uh, education and, and trying to you know, help organizations, music hubs uh, nationally to improve their offer and to improve opportunities uh, for young people uh, and, and children who are, who are from uh, underrepresented groups, who are um, people of color, so that we can see that talent pipeline develop. Uh, obviously, if you're uh, not gonna put what you need in the talent pipeline at the beginning you can't see it come out at the other end so it is a it's a big um it's a it's it's a it's a big undertaking uh we want to find out more about what the problems are for for our uh, people working in the industry uh, and so we have a, a very important survey that's out at the moment and we would like people who are musicians uh, and industry professionals to actually go uh, to uh, um, our, uh, our survey uh, complete it and help us to to get the important information that we we need to understand what the landscape looks like absolutely really critical so yes please do everyone go and fill in the survey you'll find the link in the show notes and if you're watching us on video it's at the bottom of the screen here um so you mentioned the um the talent pipeline and working with music hubs so coming in at the at the at the ground level so that the right people and as many people as possible all backgrounds are coming into the industry at that early stage um can you tell us a bit more about that is, is there anything you know that you've already identified that that, that is a particular issue there well, yeah, I mean, we, we know and understand that um, issues like uh, unconscious bias and structural racism do not uh, stop at the, the doors uh, of the concert halls of, of the uh, education institutions. Um, that's fact. I mean, it, it's everywhere. Um, and if I give you a small example uh, of that, um, I taught in a, in a, a music hub for, for many years. I'm formerly an instrumentalist. And um, actually, for all of that time, did not see any other uh, people of color who were visiting music teachers on the panel uh, for that music hub. And actually I didn't see any administrators working for that organization either. So we need to look at a more diverse workforce because that's very important. We need to give role models and examples for young people to aspire to. We also need to look at those initiatives. Uh, we've seen a lot of initiatives at grassroots level for what we call endangered species instruments. So double basses, trombones, um, double reed instruments but uh, unfortunately from from what i have seen there are not 
uh, it's uh, certainly not a significant number of initiatives that are looking at um, providing grassroots opportunities uh, and roadshows involving, uh, you know, people who look uh, like like me, you know, black um, musicians to to be there to inspire young people to give them uh, the imaging and uh, the, the the hope uh, to have the aspiration to to one day um, be involved, uh, uh, whether that's just at grassroots or whether they are involved at grassroots and want to take that further. It's so important to give them the start and then the rest is up to them. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's um, really great to hear. I was going to ask um, about uh, about the repertoire as well. And now um, I'm coming at this. Uh, we're mainly a classical. I mean, we talk about all music on this podcast, but we we're a classical music organisation, so we usually have that kind of focus. And um, what you were saying about um, not seeing yourself represented in the staff and the other players, of course, not seeing themselves represented in the scores either. And um, my colleague, Margaret, who you've seen is working on this podcast behind the scenes, has been playing um, double bass in orchestras for, um, oh, I want to say over 40 years and, and has never played a piece of music in an orchestra by a person of colour. Um, so, you know, is that part of the movement as well? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And um, just to just to be uh, very clear on this, as I said originally, uh, we know we don't have a silver bullet. There is a there is a comprehensive model for addressing these issues. Uh, we want to work with orchestras. We're already beginning to work with some, which is really quite fantastic. But also, we're aligned with other quite um, uh, important and uh, uh, um, like-minded organisations uh, like. Like Chinake Foundation, we work uh, very closely with Chichi Noanuku, and uh, it's it's actually um, been fantastic to work with uh, another like-minded uh, individual who is doing so much to champion, um, you know, the music of of uh, Black composers. Uh, and it's so important that we look at uh, the 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 offering there, the artistic offering in terms of programming, because we know by uh, including and um, uh, and promoting artists uh, uh, from uh, 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 the, uh, you know the uh, black artists and black composers we know that um, we're not taking away from the canon we're adding to it we're enriching it we're nourishing it and this is so important um, that this is a widely accepted uh, understanding rather than there being some sort of um, feeling that uh, we're diluting it with with music which is in some way uh, inferior and 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 that's a really very important point because there have been some amazing uh, compositions and um, uh, you know they are now coming to the fore and we're beginning to see orchestras play them other than orchestras like uh, Chinake. Mm, absolutely I mean it's been it's really um thrilling to see the amount of fabulous repertoire that's coming to the fore and simultaneously really upsetting to see that it's been there the whole time and not been um, not had its proper place within um, and I'm glad you mentioned the canon um, so, but, <laughs> there we, we have, go um, we're playing yeah. bingo now so um, yeah. how many because, points do I get for saying the canon oh you know all the points because okay. uh, <laughs> so this is a conversation that we've actually had and I was trying I was wondering whether to pr present you with it and uh, <laughs> and now that hit me with it the canon I'm gonna so one of the um, orchestras that I uh, work with we've had this exact conversation of, and now it's an orchestra that um, there's three community three concerts a year with a community orchestra so obviously that's not a vast amount of repertoire per year and 
the feeling amongst some of the members of the board is that we have a responsibility to play the canon because the young players coming up through the orchestra need to play the canon because otherwise they'll get to university or college and they won't have, you know, played Brahms one again. And uh, <laughs> I think it's clear what my view is on this, but nonetheless, this is clearly an example of a conversation that's being had um, by a lot of organisations, I think. So uh, had you been in that meeting, what would you have said? Well, um change is hard and um you know and I, I mean that quite sincerely uh, if you look at what that means in any context um look at look at what you eat you know if you're a vegetarian or if you want if you're a meat eater and you and you become a vegetarian uh, if you change the way that you dress um you know if you always drive one model of car and uh, you end up driving uh, another car or buying another car for uh, for a change there's a lot to get used to and um, that's why we know this is this is a this is a big big step for for organizations to 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 take um, you know the phrase this is how we've always done it words like tradition um these are you know the the get out of jail phrases and words that uh, organizations use now i say that in in um as i do but there's a there's a wider there's a wider implication to this in a wider context um which is to say i actually understand that point about the fact that musicians need to look at the canon because when they go to uh, tertiary education, when they go to the conservatoires, they need to be ready to play those pieces. They need to understand that repertoire. But isn't there such a, a, a huge problem with this? Just looking at how they start. So when I talk about that, I talk about um, exam syllabuses that uh, you know are are just forever um, um, promoting the canon exactly the same the same music now is on is pretty much on on uh the syllabi uh for examining boards or you know almost uh the same as it was when i was learning um as as a young person so we need to widen what that means we need to acknowledge and we need to celebrate musicians and creators from a wider background at an earlier age for young people so that when they do go to the conservatoires they're actually not saying well why are we not playing Brahms one or why are we not playing um Tchaikovsky fiddle concerto um because they will have had a wider understanding at an earlier age of what the canon is so we need to actually collaborate in terms of all of these artistic organizations and examining boards and conservatoires and we we need to understand that students can't learn something different at an earlier age if they're expected to only uh, learn and play the canon uh, when they get to to uh, conservatoire he level so we we need to build that understanding in that repertoire in at a much earlier uh, um, level um, we need to not forget um ignore uh neglect uh just just this amazing music that's out there uh we are called black lives in music 
but we're also black lives in music. There's a fantastic amount of um, uh, 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 of music and uh, legacy in terms of artistic uh, contribution that has been made to uh, music, both classical, um, jazz, um, you know, all, all styles of music over the years. And actually what we're seeing is a very, very uh, blinkered, aspect of what this music looks like and uh, for me that's why we need to really think about what the canon is from a very early point on in the development of our young musicians absolutely but then also have that carrying on through because i actually had an interesting conversation with someone who plays with one of the major orchestras some time ago who came from a working class background and said that he had problems when he took his place in a professional orchestra because people would be talking about very like standard repertoire within the, the canon, but that he hadn't personally played because he hadn't done quite the same amount of, you know, um, playing in orchestras throughout his youth. And that in itself was very excluding for him because it's this presupposition that everyone's played everything. But actually, isn't it enormously problematic for any genre of music to think that every, anyone could have played everything? I mean, really? <laughs> what a Naive what even. Boring set, what a boring <laughs> set of repertoire it must be if, yeah. if someone by the age of 18 could have played most of the, most of the most important bits. Um, you know. But I, I mean, for me, isn't isn't that part of the problem with with you know looking at classical music more generally in terms of you know what what is consumed by um, you know today's audiences? Um, you, you know, it, it's it's very much down uh, one lane. Um, there is there is very little deviation from what that is. Uh, if there isn't any uh, you know any one of the the big composers uh, involved in in a in a in a program i mean that automatically um deselects uh, a number of of, uh, of of our audience because they think they know what the canon is and that anything else should just shouldn't be considered uh, and and that for me is is actually ensembles shooting themselves in the foot because they are perpetuating um, an understanding that um, well if it's if it's written by this person it's great so you know mm -hmm. and, and you know it would be a bit like going to the cinema and seeing the same film seven seven nights a week and doing the same thing the next week and just just doing that forever you know we need to put a little bit more variety in there and that's really important for our musicians it is absolutely and for our audiences i think audiences carry a lot of the you know everyone's so um simultaneously beholden to audiences and also limiting of um limits them in their head as promote as a promoter who works with other promoters i hear so often oh we only ever put on string concerts because our audience don't like singers or they don't like winds and you just think really even that at that level you really haven't challenged them very much have you and um you know, I think that we can do a lot more to challenge our audiences because that um, because I think first of all, the existing ones can actually, um, you know, we're very worried about upsetting them. But really, I, I feel that it's our duty now to upset them if they're going to be upset by hearing a more um, a wider range of, of repertoire, actually. But also, I just always think about the people who aren't coming because they're not seeing themselves. So we're not thinking about those people in general in classical music. Obviously, some organisations are. But they're not thinking about what is, um, you know, they're only thinking about pleasing the people that are already on their mailing list. They're not thinking about the people that they're just not reaching at all. I, I, I agree. And I think um, it's, a, it's an interesting point that you make, um, because I, 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 I do think, 
pretty much more widely. I, I know the zeitgeist now is about uh, talking about inclusion and diversity, uh, but it is very much about um, it is very much about thinking about what organizations look like. It's about thinking about that community and it's thinking about what that community is because the community isn't just the orchestra. It's not just the organization in terms of the administrative staff and the orchestra and say the logistics staff, but it's actually the people who work in that building. It's the people who come to the concerts. It's the people who hear about the concerts and decide they don't want to come um, or, 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 or those that, that are you know seasonal subscribers. Um, the community needs to be defined in a much wider context and we need to have a better awareness of what that means um, because my understanding my feelings about this is if our community um, stays as it as it uh, currently does look like for for orchestral music then I honestly believe that um, you know in terms of the the, the long view um, that you know the the uh, there's going to be a, a short-lived aspect to this for for uh, you know the the long life of a number of of uh, ensembles and and that's um you know I, I think that's a, a really quite pertinent point. Mm, I agree absolutely um, and um, so can you tell me a bit about this in the context of jazz then because as I said our experience is mainly in the classical field and I do I hold the belief you know as, as a, a part of the classical music community and industry that it's one of the furthest behind in terms of inclusion and um, disruption <laughs> for want of a better word um, how what does it what's the situation in jazz is it any different is it similar? well i th i think the optics perhaps look slightly different um uh, uh, in as much as of course we are seeing um you know a number of black jazz musicians who are uh, rising to uh, the top with with some level of visibility and success um but I think very much like classical music, there's a real colonization of jazz. Um, uh, you know, when we think about the heritage of jazz, um, you know, the, the rich contribution um, that there has been from uh, Afro-American um, uh, artists and, and uh, creators and, and obviously Caribbean influence as well. And yet we see jazz that looks in a, in a very defined way um, uh, here and it's almost as though we've we've kind of forgotten about the fact that um, you know there is a a, a rich heritage there um, and as a result I think that that um, once again uh, it reflects in the audiences for uh, for for jazz performances um, and we need to change that you know we absolutely need to change that and uh, you know on top of which it's it is a question of opportunities um, just talking about jazz and learning jazz um, it is a fact there are under three percent uh, of of professorial staff in conservatoires in, in the United Kingdom who are black, Asian, or from uh, ethnically diverse backgrounds. Um, there you go, 97% of people teaching classical music, jazz, are not from people of diverse backgrounds. They are white. You know, um, if that doesn't define colonization um, uh, and a lack of opportunity, I'm really not sure uh, how much more convincing I <laughs> need to do. <laughs> Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I th I, something occurred to me when you were talking before as well about, um, about orchestras and about organisations and how they look 
organisationally speaking and their role in this. And um, again, coming back to sort of conversations I've had with this with sort of clients and other um, sort of potential collaborators and so on. And it seems to me that, because um, you, oh yeah, because you mentioned that, um, you know, there is a narrative around inclusion and diversity now more so than there ever has been. And I think that in many organisations, and not necessarily um, maliciously, but there is a tendency for those conversations to happen with a backdrop of, but let's try and do it with minimum disruption. You know, we want to do it, we want to be an inclusive organisation, we want to do this, that and the other, but actually we don't want to make too many changes, otherwise, you know, the sort of mythical people that disapprove won't like it. Uh, <laughs> um, would you agree? Is that something you've experienced? Uh, yes, I mean, um, you know, I've seen it firsthand with with organisations. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we know uh, for funded organisations that um, uh, you know commitment to EDI is something that is very important um, in terms of satisfying criteria for funders. Um, for uh, for example, when we work with organisations, we produce our own. Uh, uh, EDI plan to go alongside that of the org organizations we work with. Uh, I'm not being cynical d directly with our partners, but um, you know, it is a fact there are some organizations who are completing, uh, you know, a, a plan of, of, of going forward in terms of addressing their EDI, which simply doesn't do anything other than tick boxes. Uh, we can see that because when we look over the years, there has been little change in what they're doing. So, uh, as I said earlier, I, I, I believe that change does take um, courage it, it does take uh, you know a, a, a level of braveness and it also takes a level of lived experience on the conversation um, I think uh, this is something that's important about what uh, Black Lives in Music uh, brings to the table um, because we simply see a lack of of lived experience in those uh, conversations more widely. And we know that, uh, uh, you know, lack of uh, lived experience, as far as I'm concerned, does not constitute dialogue uh, in the area of addressing diversity. Uh, it, it, it simply is a scenario of a, a, an organization talking uh, to itself. And uh, that is a, a monologue. It's not going to uh, satisfy the need to make uh, the real change that's needed. And um, so we, we're very keen that organizations who are thinking about working with us understand that um, we're not radical. Uh, we are not, um, uh, you know, we're not gonna, gonna, you know, push people out of their jobs, but we do want to work with them to show them how they can make uh, change. There is, uh, you know, low hanging fruit. There's, um, mid-term and long-term gains uh, that are uh, attainable further down the road. Uh, but we want to help them because we know also that organizations um, without that lived experience simply do not know um, and are simply not confident about what the first step is and, and where they go next. Absolutely. You're, the organization is um, Black Lives and Music is filling a really important role there because I think you're absolutely right that that is uh, just not knowledge that is widely spread across the industry. Um, you mentioned um, funders. Um, I'd like to talk about that, if that's okay. The the role of funders in um, in upholding this and in driving change in this area, because as you mentioned, there are criteria with funding applications to do with um, EDI. Uh, can you talk a bit about that, if that's okay? Well, I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, there, there does need to be a... Um, accountability uh, on the part of the organizations who are funded. Um, I'd, I'd love to see that more uh, robustly assessed 
um, and more robustly policed. Um, there are, the, the, you know, there is a train of thought that talks about defunding organisations that are uh, not making progress as they should should be doing. Um, you know, perhaps another way of thinking about this is perhaps ensuring that organisations going forward do have uh, protected funds within their operating budgets um, to commit to EDI training, to commit to uh, fair recruitment uh, and uh, addressing those issues. And, and I think, um, you know, that's a that's a fairly important um, suggestion in, 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 in my mind. I think that um, it does seem to me now that there is a um, a better awareness a, a amongst funders that there should be, um, a, you know, a, a sort of a, a more robust model of of um, you know addressing the issue with with organisations themselves that they fund, and I and I see steps moving in that direction. So um, I begin to become more positive about that. I, I think the very sad thing is that it's necessary. Um, you know, we should be just looking uh, at, at, at what the problem is and, and feeling quite ashamed that we're not moving any quicker than, than, than we are at, at present. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're right. It's, um, it is a shame that, that that is, is, uh, is the stance that's having to be taken. Um, so I think the, um, the, the issue with funders, it feels to me like they have, uh, to, to me, in trying to deal with this, um, in my own small way, um, is all about power, you know, as, as in like, where do I have power to make changes? Where do I not have power to make changes? And it feels as though funders have a lot of power in the sense that obviously they, they hold the money and they're in, they're in like, the power, so they have, there is that. Um, because there is a massive imbalance of power, uh, certainly in classical music, um, in terms of people holding roles like perhaps conductors or artistic directors who have a very strong sense of their artistic vision and who are not necessarily open-minded to changing that and that there can be a lot of you know I had a conversation recently about this in a, in a safeguarding context that that imbalance of power can be very problematic for people working in the industry um, and that you know funders upholding these standards could be a really good um, thing for balancing that I, I think you're absolutely right um, I think they are the ultimate um, check and balance in terms of uh, you know the, the the pathway that organizations take uh, with regards to this um, I will uh, attempt not to be uh, too controversial about this because obviously we we are uh, supported by some of these very same organizations as well but uh, i would just like to say i think that that you know we we need to see diversity everywhere um not just in in you know the the public facing uh, side of uh, performing organizations we need to see that right across the board uh, of our sector uh, and that also involves um, the bits that you can't see, um, those who provide the support for, for these organisations. And, um, you know, perhaps perhaps that is part of the stumbling block uh, at, at this present moment. Yeah, perhaps that, that is interesting, because um, I also think that those that you can't see, um, this again comes back into the conversation about power, doesn't it? Because often where there's an imbalance of power, it comes from the person who is very visible, wielding a lot of apparent power, and the people behind the scenes actually potentially wielding more, but that being very difficult to see as well. So, yeah, very interesting. Um, 
And um, what is, um, so are you able to go into some of the things that organisations can do that are obviously already set up in a certain way, they don't necessarily want to lose staff or board members or, um, or anything like that? Have you got any kind of um, headlines on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I very much um, endorse uh, the breaking down of walls uh, between um, all of the, the, the aspects of the talent pipeline that I've discussed. Uh, we need to see a more joined up strategy. Uh, as I said, it's about, it's about starting at the beginning of the pipeline. It's about getting people into it so that we can see them move on. Uh, you know, once we're seeing them through the pipeline at the grassroots stage, it's about um, seeing them supported in conservatoires. Um, you know, there is a there is a certain amount of nepotism that happens in the classical music business, for example, in terms of those who have teachers who are holding down chairs in orchestras, who um, you know their students are moving on to to the, the the extra lists. We need to see that happen more widely. We need to see orchestras paying back by have their musicians um, work with, uh, you know, actively working with musicians uh, in the conservatoire setup, uh, encouraging them to, to keep going. Uh, we, we know that well, well-being for um, black musicians is a real issue. So we need to give them that support and that confidence, that boost of self-esteem to help them uh, move forward uh, I certainly was a was a, a young person who uh, fell at the first hurdle um, in you know uh, my, my third year at music college I, I went for an audition and just decided this is absolutely not for me um, there was nothing about the experience that was encouraging for a 19 year old um, who had no hope of getting a job let's face it you know as a wind player there, there are not that many wind players who are holding down principal jobs in UK orchestras um, that should be a constructive experience it should be an encouraging experience and not one that dismantles um, the the personality and the confidence of of the auditionee um, that is just so important to see and uh, as I say things like diversity training uh, absolutely important as I say um, structural racism does not stop at the doors of the concert halls um, why should we think that there are people who are um, really quite ignorant to the plight um, of people of color uh, in in the industry and not understand that they are part of the problem uh, rather than part of the solution and that they can be part of the solution so that training is absolutely important we need to see better recruitment strategies uh, that target um, not just the usual classical music platforms that we all know about um, but the wider community to reach out because we know that there are transferable skills for roles that people of color have um, in, in other walks of life, professionally speaking, that could be very welcomed um, in, into the uh, classical music sector um, if we welcomed people of color to come and work in the in the classical music sector. So, you know, we have to think out of the box a little bit more because um, quite frankly, uh, people of color do not believe that classical music is for them and we need to change that uh, we've seen some wonderful uh, um, uh, um, you know yardage gained uh, by Chichi uh, at Chinike but um, you know as they say one swallow does not make a summer uh, we need to do more and we can't just talk about one orchestra we need to see this uh, proliferate through um, you know the entire sector we need to, to have initiatives that actually encourage people of color to be the music music librarians the the, the music um 
orchestra managers, um, the logistics specialists, and we also need to create roles at governance level as well. Um, there's no reason why we couldn't do that. Um, you know, we have we have boards. Uh, we need to have pathways there for people to be able to get their uh, board shadowing if necessary. But actually, I believe there are a number of people of colour who actually serve on on boards who are simply not invited to be involved in in um, you know governance in in the classical sector in in, in orchestras and arts organisations. So, um, listen, I just gave away all my tricks there, but. Um, <laughs> I've got a whole bag more um, where that came from. It's actually not easy, uh, not difficult. What we need to do is sit and think about it, you know, it, and, and be brave. You know, we, we it's, it's um, you know, for me, it's, it's very much the, what I call the New Year's resolution um, syndrome of, of jumping on the scales on the, on the first of the new year, looking at the scales, deciding you're going to eat um, salad for the rest of the year um you're going to get gym membership the next day your scales move further away out of view the next day further away out of view you're eating chips and steak and then and the next day you look at your your, your bank statement and you think why have i got gym membership let me get rid of the, that direct debit all of a sudden you're just back where you were you know with, with without the intent you know that's the only difference so we we need to see big courageous moves that doesn't mean actually huge big actions it just means big courageous moves from within that make those actions actually accumulate to be something um pretty more significant down the line absolutely gosh that's uh, exceptionally well put thank you very much for sharing that. it's a pleasure um i wonder if you would um i i read something interesting the other day about um unconscious bias training and how it's not is only a small part of the solution i think the point of the article was that if you just go on unconscious bias training and then don't actually do anything then obviously that doesn't really solve anything and it got me to thinking also about the problem that i think can easily happen and actually as a woman this has happened to me as well um that you join a board but then you're not well listened to or the the, the mindset of the existing members of the board doesn't actually allow um for for the systemic change that's needed is there anything you can talk to about maybe training um about that that might address that problem well the first thing i would say is that you know i i, I would hope in this day and age that that boards uh, begin to look at the uh, uh, the the, the, the uh, terms of office um, for a start because uh, there are a number of boards where um, a number of people seem to sit on the same board for 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 a, 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 an absolute age and as a result if there is resistance to change that is where it begins um, but yes I absolutely understand that I have been in a situation myself where I've I've worked in an organization where um, I have uh, seen uh, uh, um, uh, our leadership being involved in uh, uh, unconscious bias uh, 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 training and diversity training. And um, I could pretty much see it written across the person's um, face that um, this is not necessarily something that um, it, it, that that affects them, that, uh, that, that they really should be uh, a, a, you know, concerned about. Um, and I think that's, that's a, that's, probably the biggest stumbling block at this moment is understanding, just as you said before, this isn't just about unconscious bias training. It's not just about positive targeting. Um, it's the whole thing. 
um, and it has to come from the heart. It, it, you, you have to believe, you have to understand that uh, what we see uh, in, in, in our sectors now is not acceptable and that we must want to do something about that and we must open our, our arms to embrace the change that's needed. Now, part of the problem is, is that uh, some people just are just not ready to accept and acknowledge that. Uh, we hope with our model of having a, a relationship manager, someone who 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 works uh, with organisations in 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 a in a type of critical friend model, um, we hope that will help to address the issue. Uh, but I do want to be very clear about that. Um, and and I've I've seen it. I, I'm sure that you have as well. Um, the way forward are millennials. You know, they, they, they see something very different um, out there. They, they, see, they see the world through a very different perspective from any generation that's happened before. And that for me is where my, my, my real hope is, if I'm really honest with you. Wonderful, thank you for explaining that. That is, um, it's really great to, to hear. Um, and as someone who just sneaks into the millennial category by probably about six months or something, I would hope you to hear that. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I achieved something when I discovered that. Because uh, I definitely thought I was too old. I, I'm, um, a, I'm a little way out of that category, I'm afraid. Um, I'd like to round it up there, if that's okay. Um, do you have any sure. last messages? Any kind of um, la anything that you haven't mentioned that you'd like to say to our listeners? I think uh, the, really the, the, the most important for me, thing for me is that I would um, encourage everyone, everyone to visit our website, uh, that's uh, blim.org.uk um, and uh, please complete our uh, survey. I, I think that's really, really important. Um, and I say to everyone, take it upon yourselves, think about what you can do, use your eyes, look around you, look at what you call your community, try and understand what you think your community is, and then go a little bit further. Try and let your gaze go further out because there is a wider community out there and we are all part of that. And it's very, very important that we all think, what can we all do to be part of that community and welcome everyone as part of that community? Because we can all do something about that. And that is a really important part of the change that's needed. We can't look at the management, we can't just look at leadership, we can't just look at our parents, we can't just look at people around us. We have to look at the mirror, look at, look at that image, look at ourselves and think about ourselves and our role in something that's very, very important for going forward for our community. Thank you, Roger. It's so important that these conversations are heard in the music business and indeed everywhere. And we're really, really pleased and grateful that you've been here to share the work of Black Lives in Music today. If you want to find out more about Black Lives in Music and also take part in the survey um, to help build a clearer view of diversity in our industry, you can find these at www.blim.org.uk. And please do fill in the survey. Um, please take the time to engage and share your experience and learn more about how individuals and organisations can make a real difference for the benefit of both this and future generations of musicians everywhere. Uh, Roger, do please keep us informed about the survey and the work of BLIM. It's been such a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Music Works podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe, check out our other great episodes, and even better, leave us a review. You can also sign up to our mailing list at www.polyphonyarts.com forward slash mailing dash list for updates and news about what Polyphony Arts is up to for all you classical music folk out there. You can find more information in the show notes as well. Meanwhile, I'm Katie Beardsworth and I look forward to sharing with you the next great episode of Music Works. Music Works is generously supported by Alliance Musical Insurance, the UK's number one musical instrument insurer. Alliance Music Insurance, serving the music community since 1960, proud to be the insurer of choice for over 70,000 musicians. Music Works is a Polyphony Arts production. Thank you for listening. Thank you.